Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. There's huge ties drawing in the Champions League. Arsenal meet business, PK bids farewell, plus much more. As joining myself, Matt Frolick, as ever, is Dan Burke. How are you doing, Dan? Good afternoon, Matt. Doing very well, thanks. Yourself? Uh, yeah, right. As I was just mentioning to you, went to the barbers and he cut my face up. So yeah. Or was I'm it Sweeney kind of Todd you had to see or yeah. something, was it? <laughs> yeah, it might as well have been. <laughs> might as well, I, won't, I won't say which barbers. I won't say which barbers. Uh, we'll get we'll get into some into some big podcasting action today. Just before that, though, I will let everybody know that me and my my me myself and I myself and Dan uh, got the chance to speak to Sean Wright Phillips a couple of weeks ago, which was amazing. For the podcast, so yes, we have a special episode which is out right now. Um, wherever you find this podcast, you will also find the Sean Wright Phillips episode. Um, Dan had a great time talking to Manchester City legend and they both had fun taking the piss out of me for supporting Spurs. <laughs> but of course, uh, yeah, we hope you guys enjoy that one. Uh, you can also write to us as well for this podcast and for any others. Uh, the address is podcast at onefootball.com to discuss any or all of today's topics which begin with the Champions League draw. Now, we've actually had a question from Will Shaw who said, which of the surprise entrants to the knockout stages can make it far in the Champions League or Europa League? Uh, so what we'll do, Dan, is we'll go through the Champions League draw yeah. and then maybe give your verdict, give your answer to Will's question. Uh, I'm going to go through these, well, I say chronologically, in the order that they were drawn out of the pots. <laughs> um, so it's, it would appear that the warm balls are in effect, or hot balls, <laughs> or however they fix the draw, as Manchester City were drawn against RB Leipzig. Is that doing a bit of injustice, actually, to the Germans? It might be, yeah. I mean, I must admit, I was uh, quite relieved when we when we drew them of the teams we could have got. I think it's probably one of the more straightforward draws for City. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy necessarily. Mm. I mean, they've got a quality team. They are uh, in good form at the moment. Did well in their Champions League group, and uh, I think it helps that. Well, it helps being in the situation that City are the second, uh, the home team second. So if they do slip up in the first leg and have a have a bit of a shocker in Leipzig, they can get back. Uh, in front of the Etihad and, and sort it out. But yeah, I think it'll be, you know, you'd fancy City to get through it, wouldn't you? But it's, it's not going to be that easy, I don't think. I was going to say, they did beat Real Madrid in their in exactly, the yeah, League yeah. And Christopher and Kunku's absolute fire. Yeah. I was will trying will to he make... still be there in February? That's the... <laughs> I think he will. Probably, I think he yeah. stayed to the end of the season. I was trying to find the most tenuous link possible between each draw. And this one, I'm I'm calling the Angelino derby. Yeah, but he's not even there anymore, is he? He's yeah. got to Hoffenheim now. So yeah. Yeah. That, that's all I could think of was that he may have a passing interest in who's yeah. going to win. Uh, I, I we'll go through them and say which one we think is going through. I'm assuming Manchester City from this one. Yeah, I would, I would imagine so, yeah. Um, next up then, we've got, I was going to say, immovable object against, uh, what's the, how's the phrase go? Unstoppable force. Unstoppable force, yeah. <laughs> um, Club Bruges, five clean sheets out of six games in the group stage, up against Benfica, the very exciting attacking Benfica. Uh, in terms of names, like this isn't the biggest, and I don't want to do any injustice to either side, that when the draw was made, it was kind of like, maybe Club Bruges would have preferred a dream tie after making it this far. Um, but actually, I think there's quite a solid chance for either to go through. Well, that's it. You, you, for, for them, it's it's a bit of a dream draw in that you want to get as far as you can in the competition, don't you? And this is not a good opportunity for for one of them to do that and get into the quarterfinals. And then, you know, you never know. You, mm. you saw what Villarreal did last season, get into the semi-final. You know, if, if you get to the quarterfinal, you get a, a slightly favourable draw. Not that Villarreal got that last season. They got by Munich, didn't they? And, and beat them and then gave the good account of themselves against Liverpool. But one of those two could be the Villarreal of this season, I would mm. say, if, uh, if, if the, the wind blows in their direction. Yeah, uh, I'm going to go for Benfica. Yeah, me too, I think. Yeah, yeah. I just think over two legs, that attacking prowess is... 
Yeah, I don't think Bruges have been doing that well domestically this season either, actually. I think the Champions League form has been a bit of an outlier. Mm. So I think uh, they, uh, they'll they probably get their, their comeuppance eventually. It is quite funny, though, because we should probably have this conversation just before the games as well. Because obviously between now and then, there's league, fo- away, yeah, there's yeah. league football, there's a World Cup, and there's a January transfer window. So yeah. we could talk about completely different sides. Anyway, we'll crack That's on true. to one of the most exciting ties of the round. It is last year's finalists meeting each other, Liverpool versus Real Madrid. Uh, I realise that Klopp, for all his good records against many top teams and many top managers, has never beaten Real Madrid in his time at mm. Liverpool. Uh, last time he beat them was with Dortmund, I think it was eight years ago. Yeah. Um, so not such a good sign. Can you see them winning over two legs? That's what the difference is for me. Uh, as opposed to one. I could, I could see them winning, yeah. I think my money will probably be on Real Madrid on this one just because of the, I mean, again, like you say, it's so far away that it's difficult to really make an accurate prediction at this moment in time. But at this moment in time, Liverpool aren't playing brilliantly. You know, they're struggling a bit in the league. They won at the weekend, of course. But uh, we have talked about how they've been good at the Champions League this season. So, And they are a good European team. You know, they always are. They, they're a good cup team. Um, they love that competition and, and will have a bloody good go at Real Madrid. I think it, it doesn't help them that they're at home first. You, you would want to be in front of Anfield yeah. for the second leg, ideally, from there. You know, that was how they engineered that amazing comeback against Barcelona all those years ago with the the roar of the uh, the cop and all that kind of thing. Um, and we know what happens at the Bernabeu on Champions League night. Some crazy stuff can happen there. So it could be a case of... It could be kind of similar to the City-Real Madrid tie last year that it's a bit of a, a goal fest in the first leg. Second leg is a little bit calmer and then Real Madrid just uh, nick it at the end. But who knows? Yeah. I'm going to just say, I'm going to just say Real Madrid as well. Yeah. I think they'll just edge it. Uh, AC Milan versus Tottenham is the next one on current form. This would be a runaway, runaway win for AC Milan, in my opinion. <laughs> um, Spurs not looking up to it. Having said that, of course, it's a few months away. I, I was I was looking earlier just at a few sort of bits of reaction online to this and Someone sort of pointed out the ease at which AC Milan was swept aside by Chelsea. This is a very sort of flat-looking Chelsea at the minute, which we'll come on to in a second. Um, and that gave me a glimmer of hope. Is that rather foolish or maybe there's something <laughs> no, to I d- it? No, I don't think so. I think it's uh, it often comes to the fore in these kind of when these draws are made of the, the difference in quality between the two leagues. And uh, I think the Premier League is a is a is superior in quality to Serie A. I don't think that's a controversial thing to say, is it? I think Spurs have got, you know, quality players in every department and can perform well when required, as they did against Marseille last week. You know, they weren't they weren't good at the weekend, obviously mm. Spurs, but um I would fancy them to beat AC Milan over two legs, I think. Uh Conte coming up against an Italian side, mm. he'll he'll probably relish that opportunity. Uh, it could go either way, that one as well. But I think, yeah, the 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 best evidence we have is that Chelsea beat AC Milan twice quite comfortably and Chelsea aren't great shakes at the moment either are they really so it perhaps just shows the difference in, in class between the two leagues yeah that's what I was thinking like that Chelsea went to the San Siro just I know Tomori got sent off but it was 2-0 and it was mm. 3-0 the home leg that's two clean sheets against AC Milan and you know and maybe maybe I'm just talking myself into positivity there's no disrespect <laughs> to AC Milan by the way because I think they're a very good side and if anything I'm very excited to watch you know the likes of Teo Hernandez and Rafa Leal um, just maybe not up against Emerson Royale. But anyway, we'll come on to him a little <laughs> bit later as well. Uh, I'm going to be pessimistic and say AC Milan are going to make it through on that one. I'm going to go Spurs. Yeah, go yeah. on. You, you, <laughs> you're, you're saving me. Uh, Frankfurt against Napoli. This is this is one that I feel could end badly for Frankfurt. Nothing against them. I think they've done very well to get to this stage, but the form Napoli are in 
You know, if they're the kind of team that can put four past Liverpool in Naples mm. um, and Frankfurt are at home first, so they've got to try and pick up some sort of advantage before then heading to Naples a few weeks later. Um, <laughs> is there any reason or way or how you can see Frankfurt getting through or you think this is... It's going to be tough. I wouldn't put it completely past them. You know, they did win the Europa League last season. They have done well in the Champions League this year. We talked on the podcast mm-hmm. last week about what a good job Oliver Glasner's doing for them and how they're sort of on the up and up. So I wouldn't put it past them completely. Yeah, I do think Napoli, you know, who knows whether this good run of form will last until February next year. I would like to think it will and they'll still be a really good side. Um, I think it's going to be interesting because Frankfurt, you know, their fans like to travel in big numbers for Europa uh, European ties, mm-hmm. don't they? And going to Naples, that could be, uh, you know, a bit of uh, trouble for the local constabulary, let's say, because <laughs> the because the the Neapolitan the uh, f- fans, uh, you know, have a have a habit of uh, not be not making uh, their city the most welcoming place for visiting mm. supporters, let's say, and uh, yeah, could be a few clashes there and, and that kind of thing. But yeah, I think that'll be a good game. I'll be looking forward to that one. Actually, it's an yeah. interesting one. That I think we're both going Napoli, right? Yeah, just so about. In, in answering Will's question so far, we haven't really got too many surprise entrants <laughs> to make it far. Sorry, mate. Uh, the next one's Dortmund-Chelsea. This one for me, I think, is quite interesting because I don't think Chelsea are, they're clearly not, at the levels of the top of the Premier League. And Dortmund, from what I've seen, gave City a couple of good ties. They have done when I watched them against English team in recent years. Um, I, I think this one could be really, really even. Actually, it could be, yeah. I mean, I've not been impressed with Chelsea lately at all. I mean, not not at the weekend and, and not really before that. They look a very um, sort of incoherent team. Uh, Potter hasn't quite got them playing the way he wants to yet, or not nearly got them playing the way he wants to yet, I don't think really. And I think they kind of stumbled through the Champions League group a little bit and got those two good results against Milan, obviously. But aside from that, didn't look particularly clever either. So... Dortmund, they're kind of hard to predict, aren't they, really, what they're going to do. They, they can be really good at some points and, and look a little bit meek and a little bit timid at other times. Um, they're going to want to... I mean, that that first leg at the Westfalen Stadion could be where the, the tie is kind of won and lost, I would say. If Dortmund can get a good result there and take that back to Stamford Bridge with them, uh, then it's, uh, it's, it's kind of anyone's game then, isn't it? If Chelsea go and nick a 1-0 or a 2-0 away from home, you would you would say the ball is firmly in Chelsea's yeah. court there, so that first leg is going to be crucial, I think. Yeah, yeah, I would tend to agree that both teams could win at Dortmund, but I don't think Dortmund win at Chelsea. Mm. It would be a monumental effort if they did. Um, but I'm going to go Dortmund for this one. Oh yeah, only just. What are you I think I would say? I would lean towards Chelsea personally, just about okay. yeah, because I I think you know the the January transfer window mm. will have happened by then. They've probably brought in some reinforcements. Maybe Dortmund have as well. Maybe Dortmund make a big big striker signing in the January or something as well. Yeah, but you'd back Todd Bowley to have made a bit of a splash, <laughs> probably again, yeah. again in January. Yeah. Uh, next one, Inter Milan versus Porto. This is actually again one of the ones that doesn't necessarily. Uh, strike people as a headline act but could be rather interesting i think it's been a little bit a little while since we've porto since we've seen porto go really deep into the competition um i'd put them on a par with benfica in terms of their prospects of going far Mm. into it you never really know i think this one's going to be pretty even if not if not yeah this could be a toss of a coin i would say probably inter just about Mm. have the edge in this one but porto they're a bit of a rough and ready side, aren't they? Under Conseil, they uh, they like a battle. They like mm. like to make things a bit a bit nasty, and that could really help them in a in a Champions League knockout tie. I think, um, but I would probably lead just towards Inter. I think they've got more quality. Yeah, I would say so too. Only just though, only just. Mm. Um, 
And finally, we come to what is known as the Eric Maxim Chupa Moting derby. <laughs> um, PSG versus Bayern Munich in a repeat of the 2020 final, mm. uh, which um, Kings of Coman sorry, scored the winner yeah. in a one-off victory for Bayern Munich. Since then, though, PSG had that brilliant result last season in the quarters, was it? Um, it was in the quarterfinals when Kylian Mbappe scored a double away from home, I believe, after they knocked out. What, against Bayern? Yeah, I'm sure it was yeah, against Yeah, Bayern. before it must have been, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah. before. Sorry, yeah, before. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. <laughs> uh, I think this one is going to be very, very, very interesting. If mm. it wasn't for the fact there's Liverpool, Real Madrid, it's definitely the tie of the round. The fact that one of them will be going home. Um, Julian Ogsman, from what I've heard, probably can't afford a round of 16 exit. Um, and Messi, Neymar, and Bappe can definitely not afford a round of 16 <laughs> yeah. exit. So someone's going to be in a lot of trouble come the Thursday morning whenever this is all said and done. But who will it be, Dan? Yeah, well, I mean, PSG must be cursing their luck after getting this draw, mustn't they, after that? Yeah. The sort of unfortunate circumstances that led to them finish, finishing second in their group. And we were saying on the podcast the other day, well, you know, they might end up with a favourable draw anyway, just by virtue of the fact that it doesn't always work out like that. As it happened, they've got one of the hardest draws they could have yeah. possibly expected to get, really. I think PSG have the edge in this one, though, personally. I think they're a better side than by a... I think they want it more at yeah. the moment. I think they really, really want it this year, don't they? More than you know they ever have, having the heartbreak of, of going out last season, having lost to Bayern in the final uh, a couple of years ago, as you said. Um, you know, I think Messi and Neymar in particular are going to be really, really up for this one. And Mbappe is Mbappe. You know, he's, he's, mm. he can cause any team problems. You know, I don't think I don't think PSG are the perfect side. I don't think they will necessarily go on to win the competition, but. They're going to have to play good teams if they are going to win it. I mean, yeah. It's a good test for them and get through this one. And suddenly they're the, they're the team with the kind of bit between the teeth in the, in the Champions League, then, aren't they? Um, they can then have lo- loads of confidence to think we've beaten a really good team. Uh, Liverpool or Real Madrid will be out, so they don't have to worry about facing them. Yeah, And then it's uh, yeah, it's yeah, it opens up nicely for them then. But there's, a, there's also a world where Bayern Munich do what Bayern Munich sometimes do and kind of have that kind of level of composure that not many teams have at this level and, and win that one as well. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I, I would just enter a PSG I'm going for. Yeah. I would just, I just feel like sooner or later it's going to be their year and yeah, maybe why not this year? Uh, right then, in answer to Will's question, who is your surprise entrant to the knockout stages that will make it that far, <laughs> your underdog out of those I, I guess it just leaves Benfica, doesn't it, really? They're the kind of ones yeah. that I would imagine will get to the, the quarterfinals and then probably get knocked out in the quarterfinals, but you never know. I, I Can we call Napoli surprise entrance underdogs? I would say probably not, given the form they're in, and everyone's going to be worried about playing them, aren't they, really? But Yeah, but in, in the history of the European stage recently, you'd say yes, but you're right. On the current form, it's not I guess like... at the start of the season, you wouldn't have said, oh, Napoli, they're going to do great things this year, really, would you? So if you look at it from that yeah. perspective, then... They're hardly an unknown quantity. I'd, I'd stick with them. I'd say Napoli yeah. to go far is maybe the maybe the lesser fancied at the beginning of the tournament. Not so much that we're ignoring yeah. the form they're on now. Uh, as for the Europa League draw, there are some big games. Uh, we've got Ajax visiting Union Berlin. Yeah, here here in Berlin should be very very exciting. Um, Sevilla take on PSV Leverkusen versus Monaco. There's Juventus against Nantes, and of course. The big draw in the Europa League, <laughs> Barcelona face Manchester United. Fantastic. I, I, I feel like it, it's exactly the same question I had with PSG and Bayern. One of these is going out and someone's not going to be happy. <laughs> yeah, there's this kind of, 
it's it's almost like I was discussing it earlier with a mate saying it doesn't feel like a knockout technically round of 32 to join the round of 16 draw. It doesn't really feel that no. way. Um, but yeah, I at the minute, my head says Barcelona will just nick it. Just. Yeah, mine too. I think they're a better side than United. I think they were in better form than United. Um, the Champions League notwithstanding because they were they were quite poor in that and obviously have been knocked out of it but I think Barca are still a pretty good side um, and will have enough to beat United over the two legs I guess it's it's slightly um, it's a slightly different mindset to the teams in the Champions League isn't it because if either of these two teams get knocked out of the Europa League at this stage the silver lining is well we don't have to worry about a competition that we're not that obsessed with winning anyway yeah. you know I think you know, both managers will want to win it and both sets of players will want to win the Europa League this year. But if they get knocked out, they're not going to be like crying themselves to sleep for weeks afterwards or whatever, are they? It's just going to be like, okay, well, we're out of Europe. Let's focus on the league now. So I guess that will come into play a little bit. It's not like the disaster that PSG getting knocked out of Europe would be, getting knocked out of the Champions League. But yeah, I think I would just go for go for Barcelona. But it's going to be an interesting tie, that one, because there's uh, the, the two decent teams, really. Yeah, and of course, like we mentioned, everything about the team, there is a January transfer window in between, which yeah. I think could be maybe a bit more of a benefit for Manchester United than Barca. Um, but yes, well, hopefully that answers your question, Will, as we've run through the big ones. Now to the Premier League action from the weekend, though. We said we'd talk about Chelsea. Um, but let's talk about Arsenal first, because they won 1-0 at Stamford Bridge. Uh, if not this weekend, Dan, when have Arsenal really sort of put down their marker for you, or was this it? that they're now officially in the title race. <laughs> well, they're, they're in it for sure. Um, I mean, I looked at this after City won against Fulham on, on Saturday. I looked at this one and thought, oh, if Arsenal need to win that to go back top of the league, I can't see him winning at Stamford Bridge, actually. I think the best they can probably hope mm. for is, is a draw, which means City are likely to then, you know, probably beat Brentford next weekend and be top of the league going into the into the World Cup break and, I think that could have a, a bit of a psychological impact on the rest of the season. As it is, Arsenal got the win and I thought they were really, really impressive. I, don't, I, I didn't think they were outstandingly good, but I thought they were. They, mm. there was a level of a level of sort of composure that um, I've not seen from Arsenal for a long, long time. A level of sort of cohesion that Chelsea certainly don't have at the moment. Um, everyone's kind of stepping up for Arsenal and they're still a really young team as well. Uh, there's an average age of about 25 in that, in that team, I think, that played yesterday. Um, you know they've got Saliba, who's like nineteen, isn't he? I think, and um, that young. I think he's. I think he's still only nineteen, isn't he? Or I could be wrong about that. Uh, let me just. Um, no, I think he's tw- he's twenty one. He's twenty one. Okay, still. fair enough. He's twenty one, but he's still young, and you know, um, in every department they look they look pretty solid. They've got a decent goalkeeper. They've got a good back four. The midfield is really nicely balanced, I think, and, mm. and the role that Jack has played is really good as well. That the he's playing this sort of almost like an advanced holding midfield role, which I've not really seen someone do before. He's kind of doing the simple things in the final third of the pitch and yeah. doing them really well. And that's kind of like what Arsenal needs, someone to kind of keep things ticking over. Then they've got Saka, then they've got Gabriel Jesus, who's not, you know, his goals have dried up and he's he's missing chances, but he's doing so much more for the team. They've got Odegaard, who's a really good player. So I don't think they are they are as good as City still. And I don't think over the course of a 38-game season, they're going to better City's points total. I just think that's a lot to ask for Arsenal, but they're a really, really good side. The true test will be when they play City, I think, mm. and we don't know when that's going to be yet because the, the the rearranged game hasn't uh, hasn't been rearranged yet. But um, this was a, a really, you know, 
I mean, I'd like to say it's, it's kind of a, a watershed moment for them, but I think it's their third win at Stamford Bridge in a row. So it kind of says more about Chelsea in recent years, I think. But um, yeah, they're a good, definitely a good side. Definitely the best, the second best team in the league at, at, at very worst, I would say, this year. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. I think that is that really does set a marker though. I know they've done well at Stamford Bridge, but one victory away in a London derby. For me, it definitely seemed to be the fruition of everything Arteta does in this Arsenal mm. side. And Jack is... Jack is the guy. Yeah. Jack is the man for it. I, what was really interesting, I found out, it seems like the the pressing that Gabriel Jesus does is a brilliant work rate. Really brilliant work rate. The way that Arsenal win the ball back, also, they squeeze the pitch so much that Jack doesn't get caught basically alone in the midfield. When mm. I've watched him in previous seasons, the amount of yellow cards and rash decisions he makes from basically Arsenal getting counter-attacked. Right when they're not pressing from the front, Jack has left with loads of midfielders running at him, and he's got to pull someone down and take the yellow. It happened far too often, but I think their press is so coordinated, and Jack is so high up the pitch to begin with. Like you mentioned in dictating the play, he's not caught just sitting and left completely exposed. Um, and obviously, the way they play out as well, they're far more comfortable. I think Ben White for me at right back isn't—he's a better centre back. But his composure on the ball and his anticipation makes him such a good ball playing yeah. option to have at right back. And him and Zinchenko are doing that thing that City do, where the, the fullback step into midfield to kind of create mm. an extra, extra kind of line of midfield, basically extra, you know, support those support Thomas Party, support Granite Xhaka, yeah. so that Arsenal can't be broken against. They're in the right places when they lose the ball back to press well. Um, yeah, it's very similar to City. That they're, they're kind of like a. A, a, a more low budget version of Manchester City, I would say, <laughs> uh, yeah. which is which is a compliment. That, you know, one of the greatest compliments I could probably pay them, really. But uh, yeah, and, and you know, Martinelli as well is, uh, I think, a, a really good player. And and like Jesus, like you say, he's bringing other players into play. There was a great chance he created for Odegaard in the second half that Odegaard probably should have scored. Jesus misses that chance in the first half, which was a bit of a bad one. You know, mm. if he can find his, his scoring touch again. Um, and there's not a lot of time for him to do that before the World Cup now, unfortunately. But if he can't do that after the World Cup, then um, Arsenal have got a great chance, I think, because uh, the, the, all they're missing is a, is a prolific goal scorer, I would say, now. Yeah. Um, yeah, they are indeed. And Chelsea do have one of those, apparently, in Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, <laughs> but he had a very poor game. Um, can you explain why they're so flat, though? It, it, it appeared to me, Chelsea, very bizarre. They had too many central midfielders on, mm. and then they bought more on. <laughs> and I don't... I don't quite understand what the game plan was, basically. Maybe that's my, you can you can tweet me saying, Matt, that's your shit football knowledge. <laughs> but I don't know. But someone enlightened me as to what the actual plan was for Chelsea because bringing Gallagher on, another central midfielder who wasn't necessarily driving forward, yeah. just it left me at a loss. I, th- I, th- I found their performance quite depressing to watch, actually, Chelsea yesterday. Mainly because I was kind of hoping they would take some points off Arsenal for me, but mm. that didn't happen, but... I just yeah, there's just not a lot going on all over the pitches there really. I mean, um they've got Cesar Azpilicueta playing like right back and being the man tasked with delivering a bit of width to them, and he's just like the guy's thirty five years old, his best days are behind him. He shouldn't really be relied upon in that position. Mm. Like you say, too many of kind of the same kind of midfielders. I mean, Ruben Loftus cheek is a decent player. I don't think he's good enough for Chelsea. I don't know if Conor Gallagher is actually, and and, and they brought uh, they brought Armando Brozier on as well. Who I was saying a couple of weeks ago that I think he deserves a bit of a chance. I've got a feeling those players are just a bit out of the depth for what Chelsea yeah. want to be really. Um, Kai Havertz hasn't done a lot lately, really. Uh, Mason Mount, I've not been that impressed with him for the past couple of years now, really. Um, Jorginho, you know, there's some talk about his future, isn't there? And he's like 
He's one of those players who is a good player in a team that is doing well, but in a team that isn't doing so well, you don't get a lot of kind of dynamism mm. from him, really. And yeah, Sterling and Aubameyang aren't really delivering the goods either. So it's a bit funny, really, that um, I felt like Graham Potter couldn't say no to the Chelsea job. I think it was absolutely the right decision for him to take that job and for Chelsea to hire him was was the right decision. And I think if they give him some time, then it will work out in the end. I don't know how long it'll take, but having been at Brighton for you know the time that he was there, it felt like his project at Brighton was finally coming to fruition. And now he's kind of got to start back back at square one with yeah. Chelsea. Even though he has a superior group of players on paper, he has to kind of teach them the way to play, build the squad the way that he wants it, because I don't think it's anywhere near how he would want that squad to be for the way he wants to play at the moment. So he's kind of like, yeah, he's climbed a mountain and he's, he's, uh, he's at the bottom of a, an even bigger mountain now, it seems, which is a bit unfortunate for him. Yeah, I felt the same about Cucurella actually being out of his depth too. Yeah. Just I'm just I don't know, I'm just thinking I always te- make the the ultimate test for me is would other top six sides or Champions League sides have him in their team? Mm. Cucurella and I can't imagine that. I can't imagine Loftus cheek. I can't for the life of me. I he doesn't even know his position. So none no. of us are gonna know his best position. And they kind of played like a group of guys who just met in the car park before yeah. the game. You know, there was not like that kind of chemistry with them really. Um there was a moment right at the end where they were chasing the equaliser and Loftus Cheek just played like a lofted ball up to Raheem Sterling's head. I, saw, I was I, like, what are you doing? I thought that. What are you thinking? Just keep the ball at least. Don't do that. Like, you know, that's, yeah. that's the kind of like game intelligence that he just doesn't have, unfortunately. And I don't think a lot of those players do in that team at the moment. Yeah, 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 exactly. Against Gabriel and Gabriel and Saliba, and Raheem Sterling's your target, man. I was baffled, baffled to say yeah. the least. Um, I was also baffled watching Spurs against Liverpool. And here we go again. <laughs> uh, I just, I feel like we could just play the same episode, the same part of episode each yeah. week when I talk about how Spurs are so bad in the first 45 minutes, come alive in the second 45, give me hope for next week. And then it all just breaks down again. Um, is it the player or the coach? That seems to be the divisive <laughs> question at Tottenham at the minute. Is it the player's fault or is it Antonio Conte? Hasn't that been the question at Tottenham for your entire life and probably yeah, more than that? <laughs> pretty much, because I'm firmly on the player's side of, of it's the player's fault. Yeah, I mean, I am too, really. I think, I mean, we know what a quality coach Conte mm. is, don't we? We know what he can do. Um, we know what he has done, his record. You know, he, has, he is a winner and all that kind of thing. Again, I just see the same sort of flatness with Spurs that you see with Chelsea. And it's it's like, two kind of systems that aren't particularly geared towards like nice football and creating chances and a little bit too cautious, too many kind of holding midfield players. I mean, I, I wasn't very impressed with Eves Basuma yesterday. I don't know if he's oh, really? been... really? No, he was I, actually I, quite good. Did you? I just, well, it uh, was okay. But I mean, I, I thought I thought playing Perisic in an attacking position was obviously an act of desperation. It wasn't a choice It was a, that, that Conte mm. would have made. I mean, I think we talked on the podcast on Friday about... Um, him maybe played Lucas Moura from the start, and I feel like that would have been a better option personally. But I don't know. Perisic, I don't think he's got the legs to play in that position at the moment. So Kane was just a bit isolated all the time, wasn't he? And um, the midfield, there's not, there's just not a lot of creativity in that midfield. I don't yeah. Think, really. Yeah. Well, well, that's why I think Perisic was in there. I thought he he did a lot of good work, Perisic, a lot of good running, and I feel like he created, but there wasn't. They just there was a missing link basically between the two, and that link came as soon as Kulusevski came yeah, on. Yeah, they less looked than, way better, didn't they, as soon as he came on, yeah. L- less than a minute, you know, it's, it's a great movement. Kane understands Kulusevski's movement, so he knows when he cuts inside to make the run across Konate and receive the ball and finish it brilliantly. And 
I'm not going to spend this whole podcast ripping on players, you know, like Emerson Royale, but he was so poor. It made such a big difference. The second, you know, the minute he came off, Doherty and Kulazewski combined and Kulazewski plays a Kane and Spurs score. I mean, that points to me. I thought Sessignon was very poor as well. Yeah. That this system can work if Spurs have better players. Emerson Royale was so poor at delivering the ball and you think, well, hold on, actually, if there's a right back, if there's a Trippier, if there's a Trent, I'm not saying Spurs can sign those two. If there's somebody who can put a good ball in, it makes a world of difference. And it's the same thing with Kulazewski. If, you know, if someone like Lucas Moore is there, that Kulazewski run and pass doesn't happen. Mm. Um, and I think Spurs, you know, there is a lot of room for improvement. Uh, but talking of Session, though, that foul from Trent Alexander-Arnold, oh, I yeah. didn't think it was a penalty. I was saying, Session, get up, be stronger. <laughs> You're in the box, do more to protect the ball. Having then seen Jao Cancelo's red card, and when I watched the highlights <laughs> against Fulham, what do you what do you think? Was there any difference between the two? Well, well firstly on the Cancelo one, I, I thought it was a foul, but I thought he's a, I was a little bit unlucky there because, you know, shoulder to shoulder is generally considered fine. Fair game, isn't it, in mm. football? You can go shoulder to shoulder, and if you barge someone over, whether you've kind of got intention to play the ball or not, doesn't seem to really matter. And what Cancelo's trying to do there is just barge you out the way with his shoulder, shepherd the ball back to the goalkeeper. As it is, he's gone shoulder to kind of shoulder blade. And yeah, because that contact hasn't been made, it's then a foul. So I think he was slightly unfortunate, but I think it was a foul. Like you can't really make a case against that. And the problem that a lot of people have with refereeing and VAR and all that is we want consistency, don't we? And it's like, how can that be a foul? And the Trent one can't be a foul. Surely they both are, or neither of them are. If anything, the Trent one's more of a foul because he put his hand on his back yeah. and pushed him over. Like you say, I think Sessignon's gone over quite easily, probably looking for it and probably should be a bit stronger. But and you, I mean, I was I was I watched the game with Joel in his uh, his Liverpool pub here actually, and the, the Liverpool fans when they saw it were all going, "Oh my God, he's gonna he's gonna give a penalty, he's gonna give a penalty." And I was like, "Now the VAR won't overturn that because the referee's seen it, decided yeah. it's not a foul, and that's not you know something that the VAR would intervene in." Um, which again is just the bullshit that VAR yeah, is, yeah, yeah. isn't it? But um, what I found so funny was that it was the same guy. You see this? Was it? It was the same Darren England. <laughs> it was the same bloke that decided Cancelo's was that decided Sessignon's wasn't. <laughs> Unbelievable. Anyway, let's, let's not whine about that. Um, on to Aston Villa against Manchester United. This one was very interesting. We spoke last Monday about basically the shackles being off. Was it last Monday when they'd beaten Brentford 4-0? It might have been the Monday before. I think it was the week before. Uh, the yeah. week before, we saying post-Gerard, Villa look like they're free. Um, <laughs> so was this down to basically Villa being post-Gerard or are we seeing Unai Emery's impact, you know, within the space of three days? Yeah, I think there, there is definitely a bit of an impact being had there. I think he's done some good media around his appointment, Emery, mm. and sort of laid out his plan for Aston Villa and it sounds it sounds quite interesting and I still agree with what you were saying on the podcast last week about they're going to hit a glass ceiling at, unfortunately, Aston Villa very quickly and there's only so, so far you can go without serious, serious investment mm. in the Premier League anymore, which is probably going to be a bit of a problem further down the line. But for now, I think it's um, it's an interesting appointment for them. And I think the way that he used Calvin Ramsey in this game, uh, not Calvin Ramsey, Jacob, Jacob Ramsey. Brilliant uh, player. Yeah. Brilliant player. Yeah, 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 he scored. He scored two goals, didn't he? Second one was an absolute brilliant finish. Well, both both great finishes. No, no, actually. no, no. He's only scored one, right? Did he? Like, oh, he scored the own goal. It, it came off him. He Did he not score the second goal. one as well? Oh, no, it was Bailey, wasn't no, it? No, Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. No, Bailey, well, Bailey scored the first, then it was Luka Bailey scored Dina. the first, then Dina. Dina yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then Lovely he scored goal. the own goal. It was very Gerard-esque. It was, yeah, right. Yeah. Or, or, or Lampard, Lampard maybe arriving late yeah. in the box. But 
but yeah, I think I think the way you could see the way that um that Emery had instructed him to just go and play forward, 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 don't come back, like just stay up there. And when the turnover comes, you'll be in position then to get the ball and be in those positions to score the goals. And, you know, he's a really exciting talent who I think went a little bit stale under Gerard. Um, I remember Joel saying at the start of the season that he's going to be like young player of the year and it hasn't really panned out like that. Mm. But he could now get a, a new lease of life under Emery, I think, and be be really, really uh, threatening player for them. I, I think it's really interesting because sometimes young players who are, you know, favoured by a manager, you know, they're little, not not teacher's pet, but you know what I mean? Some managers yeah. like a youngster and often when it changes, the new manager won't see it. The new manager will be like, right, we've got some kid. I don't know mm. how good he is. I don't care if the previous manager played him. But the fact that Emery stuck with him, I think he could go on to be brilliant. I know he's already impressing at under 21 level um, and, and has done the whole England setup. And I just, I, I think he's fantastic. Um, on top of this, we then saw Southampton versus Newcastle. Uh, we were supposed to have Lewis on here, but he's very, very busy today. And I was going to ask him <laughs> what he thought of Newcastle because I know me and you talk about it a lot. Yeah. Um, and they were absolutely brilliant. And I didn't expect much else. They they absolutely battered a poor Southampton side with some ridiculous finishing. Um, I don't know if you saw Joe Willock's goal, Dan. Do you know what? I've actually not seen the goals from this game, so I'm probably not the best person to ask about this. Where do you watch it? It's a good finish from Joe Willock. It's an impeccable knee slide. Is it? He scores. He pokes it. Oh, it's it's majestic. It's it's long. It's slippery. It's in it's in the rain. He reaches the byline and just a little bit of a turn, a bit a little bit of a fade. Like you've hit you've hit it down the fairway with a bit of fade. It's it's majestic. Check it out. but it, it was coming for Southampton um, because they've been so poor recently. And obviously this was a straw that broke the camel's back yeah. as Hasenhutl has left. Uh, as of now, Monday afternoon, it appears Nathan Jones is the man mm. they're speaking to from Luton Town. Um, a good option. I've seen a bit of a a bit of a trend here with the likes of him and obviously Michael Beale at QPR being targeted. Are, are you all for this, giving them a chance, uh, giving the championship managers a chance or... Should there be someone with a bit more experience and know-how to come in at Southampton? I mean, they're in a relegation fight. Yeah, I think Nathan Jones has done a good job at Luton, like a really good job actually. Um, got them really punching above the weight, mm. you know, in the championship, and, and they play nice football um, on the rare rare occasions that I've watched Luton Town play. To be honest with you, but um, yeah, I think he is a good up, up and coming coach, and it is, um, you know, Southampton are quite a forward thinking club, aren't they? They, they? they buy young players and try and develop them. They uh, their infrastructure off the off the pitch is is all kind of geared for the future and this is a kind of forward-thinking move um but you know I think they are in a relegation battle this season um more so than perhaps they have been in recent mm. years and I think I think Hasenhutl you have to look at his time at Southampton as, as a failure overall because he was he was brought in to um deliver I don't know European football probably was was probably what the, the remit was eventually and I don't think they ever got close to that unless I'm misremembering them being in, in the Europa League at some point. I don't, I don't think they ever came close. Obviously, there were some heavy defeats that were that were quite traumatic as well. Um, and I think the best you could say about Hazard was that, that he kept Southampton in the league pretty comfortably for the most part. Never really, really looked like they were in serious danger of going down. But this year, the, the, the state that he's left them in means that the manager taking over does have a relegation fight on the hands and he is going to have to adapt quickly and get the players on side uh, if it is Nathan Jones and that's going to be a really tough task I think mm. I mean I did see some suggestion that maybe Pochettino maybe they might try and uh, lure him back to the club Oof, whether whether he, he would go for that but you you would want I mean I mean, if you're going to sack Carson you, you would want a clear upgrade 
You would mm. want to feel confident that you'd got someone who was going to steady the ship instantly, like uh, like Villa have done with Emery, like Wolves have done with uh, with Lopetegui. I'm not sure Nathan Jones is that, but I, I hope it works out because I, I think he's a good coach. Like I said, and it, it'd be it'd be good to see if it, if it did work out. But I'm a little bit a bit worried about how that could go. I, I feel like. I- we're bleating our own horn here, but Southampton have literally fulfilled the prophecy I was talking about last week with Aston Villa. <laughs> the Haas Newtel came in, there's some good results. You can't really get above mid-table without miraculously punching above your weight or big investment. Mm. And then eventually, at some point or other, you're going to hit a bad run of form, end up in 18th, then you're going to get fired. Yeah. There, wasn't, there wasn't really much else. And Haas Newtel felt do. like a really big appointment for them. Yeah. A big coup at the time. You know, we did a good job with Leipzig and and was had this reputation um, coming from the Bundesliga that felt like oh wow South, Southampton have got a coach that could get them up as high as seventh mm. in the league or whatever and it just didn't really work out so I don't think they're cursed or anything like that I, but I do think you know they've got a young team there now and they have to be very very careful because uh, you know they could end up getting relegated it could be quite hard mm. for them to get back into the league if they're not careful as well so yeah absolutely good luck um, to Nathan Jones yeah <laughs> Yeah, good luck if he gets it. Uh, right, that is the end of the Premier League bit. We'll move on to a little bit of La Liga because we wave goodbye to a legend this weekend as Gerard Piquet played his final game in front of the Camp Nou. Uh, I, I believe he's going to play in the Osasuna match on Wednesday. Yeah, they've got I'm an injury mistaken. crisis, I think, haven't they? So he's, uh... Yeah, but that was the final game at Camp Nou. There was uh, there was a lot of tears. He came off at about the 84th minute in their 2-0 victory and, and gave a, a speech at the end. Um as one of the greatest ever, is that how he goes down in in your books, Dan? Yeah, I think so. I think he he, he sort of popularised. Uh, he, he wasn't alone in doing so, but I think he he was one of the kind of first like ball playing centre backs around, really, and kind of made that a big deal. And it is a big deal in football now. Um, I think he has always been very very consistent for Barca. You know, even this season he's been, he's been filling in for them and doing doing a job. He's obviously not the player he once was. Time has uh, has not waited for him, and he, and he's uh, it's probably the right time for him to go. Um, although it is a, the, the time of it is a little bit strange, I guess you might say, given that it's yeah. November and he's, uh, he's he's retiring. But uh, I think there's uh, you know he's he's had to deal with a lot of political stuff off the pitch with uh, with Laporta and you know uh, arguments over players being paid, uh, not being paid, that kind of thing. Um, all the financial levers and stuff that's been going on, going on at that club, he's been kind of at the centre of that. And in the post-Messi world, he's been kind of the the kind of the the, the lasting legend at the club, really, aside yeah. from aside from Xavi. So I think that there's been a lot to deal with, and I think he's maintained uh, a level of dignity and uh, composure throughout that's quite admirable. So hmm. yeah, I'm sad to see him go. It's kind of, it feels like that like the end of an era for Barcelona, really, doesn't it? For that yeah. glorious era under Pep Guardiola, he's. Uh, He's the last one, isn't he, really? Especially when Busquets leaves as well at the yeah. end of the season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, talking of dignity and composure, there was none in a, a few other games this weekend. And I'm talking about <laughs> red cards absolutely flying around. So, there was one game, there was a Seville derby this weekend. I don't know if you managed to catch this, down. It was a brilliant game. Yeah, I saw the um, highlights. Yeah. Between Betis and Sevilla. Did you see this? I think it's pronounced Gudeli. I think uh, that's which one's that? Gudeli, the guy who oh, scored. Oh, the, the, the goal! Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, right, yeah. I didn't um, know it was pronounced like that. I was going to say Gudelge. <laughs> I thought so, but then I seem to remember um, if, if that was sort of a Cro- Croatian or Serbian yeah. former Yugoslav name. It's Gudeli, oh, maybe. Okay. Anyway, yeah. uh, what a ridiculous goal! Yeah. Oh my! It's one of those you dream of hitting. I I was watching it, and I was, as soon as he hit it, I was like, goal. Yeah. That has to be in. He almost scored a ridiculous one afterwards as well. Anyway, the game finished with 10 men for Sevilla and nine men for Real Betis. Um, 
I was questioning whether or not it was the right time to have a derby to kind of kickstart severe season because they're level on points with 19th and 18th as their mm-hmm. 17th. How much of a catastrophe is it if Sevilla go down? That would be pretty mental, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, can't, I can't see it happening. I think they'll probably get out of trouble eventually. Pro- I'm sure there's probably three worse teams in the league than them mm-hmm. overall, but uh, I think they need a bit of uh, reinforcements in January as well Like because I think their, their aging team is uh, is, mm-hmm. is creaking quite a lot at the moment and uh, Sam Pauli hasn't uh, been able to sprinkle his magic dust on them yet. And uh, Yeah, two wins th- in his first nine. Yeah, I mean, I guess you have to look at this as a big point to uh, to come back and get it at the end. And did you see that with uh, with Monchi, the uh, the sporting director was like, he went on the pitch at the end and was like going over to the, the Sevilla fans and kind of like beating his chest and all this. And uh, the Betis fans weren't too happy about <laughs> it, apparently. And uh, I imagine. He, might, he might face repercussions. I mean, I think it's, it's a bit of an odd reaction to c- considering you've just drawn a game to be going yeah. on the pitch celebrating, <laughs> yeah. I suppose. But uh, and you're in the relegation zone. But yeah. I think, I think, um, yeah, there was there was a bit of an incident when when they played City in the Champions League with the um, with the kind of ultras at Sevilla, where they kind of made their oh yeah uh, dissatisfaction known. So I think uh, getting them back on side is is the, the the main priority before they can start thinking about getting away from the relegation zone. Oh well, they still finished third in that Euro Champions League group. So yeah. they're in the Europa yeah. League. Yeah. Uh, but talking of red cards, actually, <laughs> you, you, you know what I'm going to say here? There was the Argentinian FA Cup final. We were talking about how the last the last uh, game of the Argentinian Premier League was crazy. Boca, River Plate, Independiente, Racing. Um, this was Boca against Racing, who scored a 118th minute winner, which caused a melee. And in the end, 10 people got sent off. <laughs> throughout the whole 120 minutes of action and then some because there's loads of extra time seven for Boca a few of them on the bench and three for Assing and this this referee's going to the World Cup fair play and, and he's, he's just giving out 10 reds he looks he looks like he knows what he's doing to me then in that yeah, case yeah yeah right 10 red cards yeah. uh, I had a quick question about it do you think we sort of marvel at it because it's so entertaining in South American football but if it happened in the FA Cup over in England you'd be like <laughs> oh that's a disgrace there will be, it'd be talking about the darkest day in the, the history of English football yeah exactly if, if 10, 10 players have been sent off um, yeah I mean I think I think Argentinian football by its very nature is, is crazy you know RG ball they call it it's just like you know there's all sorts of mad any mad thing you can imagine happening has probably already happened in Argentina really yeah. so it's kind of what what makes the league what it is and if you could be bothered staying up till uh, the early hours of the morning to watch it it's it's usually good value entertainment I mean that that kind of stuff is uh, the kind of thing that people say nobody wants to see this kind of thing but every, everybody loves it really, everybody wants to see it <laughs> <laughs> I loved it uh, it was uh, it was Carlos Alcaraz who scored the winner for Racing in like is it the is 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 it their version of the FA Cup or is it like yeah, yeah, I think their so, version yeah. of the the Community Shield or something? I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. I, think, but anyway. I feel like it's the end of the season, so I feel like it Trofeo was des Campeones, isn't it? So oh, maybe you're right. I don't know, but anyway, yeah. So he he celebrated in front of the Boca fans, didn't he? And then for ages as well, for like two minutes, he was going on. And then even <laughs> when all his teammates had gone, he was still just like sat there, like looking up at the Boca fans, like. And at that point, the Boca players came over and were like, what the fuck are you doing? And some of them were like pulling his ear. Did you see that? Yeah, very odd. that was a weird thing to do, yeah. yeah. Is that like an Argentinian thing? Or... If you're going to lamp him, lamp him. Yeah. Just pull his ear. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was a little bit like something odd. you do to your little brother or something, not like uh, something you do in a, in a scuffle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> in a, it was more than a scuffle. Fist yeah. cuffs were thrown. <laughs> uh, well, I thought we'd end today, actually. And a nice little question, because you remember, was it last week or the week before I asked you about which music you would play to get yourself pumped up before a oh, match? Yeah. 
um, just to try and basically get all the listeners to learn a little bit more about us. And this time, I've gone for your favorite post-match meal. And I've got some I've got some multiple choice here for you, right? So you're a footballer, Dan. What would you eat after a game? You've got the pizza that Ranieri used to give his Leicester players for a clean sheet. You've got the sushi prepared on the back of the Stoke team bus that Peter, Peter Crouch always talks about. He said there was a sushi chef on the really? back of the bus. <laughs> back of the team bus or a protein shake which seems to be you know every sort of um club has has these different protein shakes which one would you go for well of those options i would go for the pizza because uh i don't like sushi and you know it's celebratory isn't it you can't have a protein shake to celebrate i'm not cristiano ronaldo <laughs> yeah. like I'm, I'm, i'd be more charlie adam than cristiano ronaldo yeah, if yeah. i was a footballer that's for sure i'd go well, sushi I'm- would you? Yeah. 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 I mean, outside those options, I do love that. Um, have you seen that Carlisle United, when they have a, a Man of the Match award, what the player gets as the Man of the Match yeah. award? So they're sponsored by some like Indian restaurant or something. And there's like photos of the players holding a curry, like to celebrate their Man of the wow, Match award, okay, which I assume okay. they then get to eat as well. I mean, I love yeah. a curry. That's my favorite food, Indian food. So uh, give me a curry straight after the match, yeah. I say. Oh. Yeah. Got, got your protein, got your carbs in there. Yeah. Yeah, right, there you go. So yeah. A nice Ruby Murray, as it's known colloquially. <laughs> uh, but the reason I actually asked this was partly because it's rather interesting. Of course, you guys could tweet us your perfect post-match meal uh, at OneFootball, at FussballDown, or at Matt underscore Froelich. And it's because in my uh, endless rounds of searching the internet, I found the post-match meal requests from Barcelona's team eight years ago. So September 2014, they were playing a Champions League match. A Champions League they were going to win, by the way. Um and I found a list of their post, post-match post meals that they want. Obviously, <laughs> they know they're supposed to have a lot of carbs to replace the energy they've lost and proteins and whatever. And you will not believe, Dan, what is on this list. I'll oh. run through them quickly for you. Um, you just give me a yes or a no whether you'd eat it. Marc-Andre Tostegan, sushi and a Nutella sandwich. Nutella sandwich? Uh, no, I would not eat that. Yeah, they seem to love that. I assume that's not sushi and Nutella on the same sandwich. No, no, no. Yeah. Frank, <laughs> uh, Gerard Piquet, Nutella sandwich and fruit. Yeah, fair enough. The Nutella sandwich is becoming a theme here, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, <laughs> it is. Uh, Rakitic, two helpings of sushi and fruit. You're going to say no because it's no. sushi. Busquets has gone for ham, pizza and fruit. Yes, Only no. pineapple and strawberry for the fruit. Okay, I thought you were going to say pineapple on the pizza. Though, yeah, that would I offend don't know. a few people, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, Javi's gone for chopped chicken breast and ham pizza. Um, I'm yeah, assuming the chicken decent. on the pizza. Yeah. Iniesta apparently asked for a ham and cheese pizza and a sandwich of bologna and chorizo. That sounds fantastic, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Luis Suarez, ham and cheese pizza and a Caesar salad. <laughs> and um, Chiellini's here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Chiellini's here. Uh, Mascherano's gone for pasta salads and two pieces of fruit. I, that's very boring, Mascherano. Yeah, Come yeah. on, have some pizza. Uh, Sergio Roberto, sushi and a triple sandwich of Nutella. Um, oh, wow. So he's, he's one-upping to Stegen. Uh, Neymar's gone for a ham and cheese pizza with fruit. That surprises uh, me, actually. I thought Neymar would be, I don't know. Yeah, something... I, don't I thought he'd be a protein shake kind of guy. Yeah. yeah. And finally, the one you've all been waiting for, the GOAT, <laughs> depending on how you view Lionel Messi, went for cheese pizza. I thought you were going to say like chips and gravy or something. Yeah, like, <laughs> that is it. So that if you want to know, everyone out there, what Lionel Messi is eating, the pro athlete to refuel after a game, he loves cheese pizza. I'm assuming <laughs> that's you... with tomato sauce. Must be, yeah. Not just that. Otherwise, it's just yeah. cheese on toast, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, I mean, you still play football, Matt. I mean, to I to do. some half decent level. Uh, not a professional by any match. No. What do you eat before a match? 
Uh, oats, a, a oats. porridge, porridge. Yeah, just okay. some some good carbs, porridge before a game, and afterwards, afterwards, before I get on the beer, um, it's usually some sort of plate of vegetables and rice and hmm. some other bits that's provided nice. provided. I remember, for us I remember Alan Shearer saying years ago that before a match he used to eat chicken and beans, which I always thought was probably a good thing um, to eat, but then. Maybe Most, whenever I play football, it was in the morning, really. So it's like yeah, that's really... the thing. Yeah, yeah. I remember Wayne Rooney saying, "Yeah, sometimes, yeah. sometimes I have some cocoa pops. None of that Moon and Stars rubbish. Just the yeah. original cocoa pops." <laughs> 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 Which I was like, "Oh God forbid, Moon and Stars are on the menu." Yeah, like, yeah. Well, he complained, didn't he? As well, Rooney was. I remember people saying yeah. it's like, "Oh, you." You poor footballers, you have to you have to endure this. He's got to he eat like, pasta. Oh. Yeah, it was yeah. like for the, the early kickoffs are a nightmare because you have to eat pasta at like ten a.m. and it's just the last <laughs> thing you want to eat at that time of the day. Fair enough, I, I can I can uh, sympathise with him a little bit there. To be honest, I just find it quite funny. We're talking about English footballers eating like chicken and beans and pasta, and over in Barcelona they're having sushi, Nutella, and chorizo and bologna sandwiches and some pizza. Unbelievable. They, yeah. I find it quite funny. Maybe it's changed. That was eight years ago because I remember seeing an interview recently with Sergio Aguero and he said his favorite food was a steak and cheese sandwich. Um, <laughs> but he, did, he didn't allow himself to eat it during the season. Really? Yeah. And I was thinking, well, surely one doesn't hurt. But 10 months of the year, no steak and cheese sandwich for Aguero. Well, he had, he had to um, cut out loads of like red meat from his diet because oh, that probably... was like all, all he ate basically. Oh, okay. um, and it was like it was like he was having loads of muscular injuries and stuff. So when Guardiola came in, he was like, "Right, you got to stop eating so much red meat, basically." Yeah. So, and I've got a mate who used to work at a restaurant in a very affluent mm. part of Manchester, and he said Sergio Agro rang up the restaurant one night and ordered four well done steaks to go. That was all he ordered. <laughs> so he eats his steak well done as well, yeah, which I've yeah. always thought oh. was a bit odd. Yeah, terrible. Absolutely terrible. Fucking the shit out of it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. It's just rubber. You're just eating yeah. rubber at that yeah, point. Yeah. I, I, I thought Argentinians knew about their steak as well. I think it's a thing, though, over there to eat well oh, done right. steak. Well, I, I mean, I, just one thing. I, I went to a steakhouse in Buenos Aires in Argentina, and I knew it was going to be a good meal because they had loads of signed shirts on the wall, and they had a mm. Carlos Tevez signed shirt on the wall. And I was like, if he's been here and enjoyed it, then it must be good because I bet he loves the steak as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, there you go. So there are some interesting post-match meals <laughs> for Barcelona. Obviously, tell us yours and whether any of those sound appetizing to you. Uh, at other Twitter, I've mentioned before, at OneFootball as well. Um, you can also email us. The address is podcast at onefootball.com. That is all from myself and Dan for today, though. We shall be back Thursday. Uh, there's a little bit of football midweek coming up. So we've The got old Carabao Cup's about. coming on, mate. The, yeah. the old Carabao Cup. There's obviously some La Liga action. Um and then we've got a look ahead to the final round of fixtures before everyone disperses into their various World Cup squads. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's all that to look forward to at the end of the week. But until then, we will see you guys later.